You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. As the children are making their way to their to Children's Church this morning, let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word or to look on with someone else. If you don't have your Bible today, you certainly can slide over next to someone who does and look on together at Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 and 13. Just two verses this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. As you can see at the front to my right, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. And that's always a delight for us. But before we do so, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, these two verses, 12 and 13. And we're going to be exploring what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and how God is already at work in us to accomplish this. You know, as Christians, I know from my Christian life, and perhaps you notice this in yours, that it's very often that we hear about our need to work out our salvation. This is one of those passages in the New Testament that seems to be fairly well known or obvious to us. But what exactly that means seems not to be as obvious. What exactly does it entail to work out your salvation? How can we do this? Well, this morning we're going to be diving in the time that we have before we celebrate the Lord's Supper deep into these questions. And I hope that by the end of this sermon, you and I will together have a better understanding of what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and how we can do so with the ultimate help of God's grace. So let's begin here with just these three points this morning. The first being the recognition that God calls us to work out our salvation. And then from there, we're going to notice two important truths about God. That God works in us first and that God wills in us most, and those two things that God is always doing for his people are what really drive our ability and what it means to work out our salvation. Since it's just two verses this morning, let me read these two verses so that we can get the landscape of what we're considering, and then we'll work through these three important truths and see how we can glean from them some real help, I hope, and some real understanding of what it means to work out our salvation. Verse 12 says, So then, my beloved, there's Paul again referring to them as his beloved, ultimate term of endearment, of of ultimate concern and love and warmth. And we put that together with all the other things that Paul has been saying in this epistle of joy, wanting his own joy to be made complete and spreading that joy as far and wide through God's people and into the world as he can, here he is again, so then, my beloved. He says, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, he's telling them that he has been with them in their presence, and that's a huge encouragement to them, but he, now that he is apart, is encouraging that their obedience, that their joy in the Lord would even 
grow and multiply more and more in his absence because God is the one who is at work. And then he says this. Here's this part that is pretty well known to us. We've probably heard this language before. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's calling them to a kind of personal responsibility in his absence to continue doing this thing that can be confusing, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says, he gives them what we're going to get into in a moment, the real hope and power of this working out in verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. This is so important. I, I mean, every, every sermon and every text is important. But this morning, I want to pray briefly once more and just ask God to give us additional wisdom so that we can really grab hold of these truths and see them at work in our lives. So let's just pray once more and ask God to help us. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this, this opportunity again to meet together, to encourage one another, to hear your word, to sing your word back to you, and, and ultimately to celebrate the word of God who is Christ in our celebration of the Lord's Supper. Thank you for the gospel, and thank you for your faithfulness to work in us and to will in us. And so I pray this morning that you would help us to better understand what it means to work out our salvation and that that understanding would lead to greater and greater happiness in our hearts before you and in you and for you and because of you this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here's that first truth. We're just looking at, at the beginning of this passage that God calls us to work out our salvation. There it is again in verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think one thing that would help us understand this is just to draw some contrast or think about this when compared to working out versus working in. I think it's clear from the passage and everything else that we read in Scripture that Paul is being very specific with his language to encourage us or command us to work out, not work in our salvation. Now, here's another way we could think about it. If we replace the word work with the word pour, it might become a little bit clearer. It's the difference between pouring out and pouring in. Uh, Lacey and Tori and 5,000 or 4,000 really of their closest friends ran the Cap City Half Marathon yesterday. And all of those athletes spent weeks or months pouring in to themselves nutrition and training and time and rest so that at the end of their training, on the day of the big race, they could pour out their performance, all of the, the energetic result of their training could come out on that day. That's an important and helpful picture to me because it reminds me of what I think this passage really means and how we can understand what it means to work out our salvation. There's a difference between pouring in and pouring out, working in and working out. Now, here's something that we know is true. You can only pour out what has already been poured in. And here is the, 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 the most important truth when it comes to how we understand our salvation, that God never says to us, 
pour in your salvation. In fact, that is a primary difference between what we believe and know as Christians and the religions of the world. All of the other religions of the world, you can start naming them in your head, all of the religions in the world aim to know God by pouring in their own salvation, by gaining it themselves, by their own work, working it into themselves. You might think about going on vacation, maybe to Florida, and you're under the sun, and you feel it, and you start rubbing in that sunscreen. That's what the religions of the world are trying to do, rub in salvation by their own works and their own efforts. But what's so beautiful about Christianity, what is so different about the gospel, is that God never commands us and he never expects us because indeed we never could rub in or pour in or work in our own salvation. Instead, the forgiveness that we have with God, our salvation from our sins, the forgiveness that he offers to us is of grace alone, all of grace, all day long. It is a a singular work that he does in our hearts by his own sovereign grace and choice to change our hearts and to do for us what we could never, we could never do for ourselves. Not in a million years of working or pouring or rubbing in. He has done in a moment by his grace in our hearts. So what does it mean then for us to work out our salvation if God and he is the one who works in our salvation? Well, to work out our salvation is to thrust out what God has put into us, to pour out what he has poured into us as he continues to work in us. So that is an important question if we want to understand what does it mean to work out your salvation. I think if you're like me, you've had a hard time getting your mind around just that concept in the Christian life. I have wrestled for a long time and continue as we all do to the very end. What does it mean to work out your salvation? And usually, if I'm honest, usually I come back to this really basic definition. It's, it's a little bit cold, and it basically says, keep obeying. Just keep working at being a good Christian. Keep working at pray enough, read your Bible enough, go to church enough, have those good relationships, um, Watch what you're viewing on television and make sure it's, it's, it's right and in line. And all of those things are part of the Christian life. But I think that working out our salvation, as we're seeing in the context of the book of Philippians, a book that is about happiness, it's a book about joy and the pursuit of it, that working out our salvation is in fact something much brighter, something much bigger. In addition to all of that, working together And so let's apply some basic biblical logic to better understand what it means to work out our salvation. This this might help us build a foundation that we can then build on further. It it can help build a foundation, which is what we're, we're continually doing, especially in this series of learning to be connoisseurs of happiness in Christ, learning how how can we be happy in Him? What does that mean? And so here's the first question. What exactly 
has been poured into your heart as a Christian. If it means to pour out, and I think that it does, what has been poured in, you have to answer that question. What has God poured into your hearts? If you're going to work out of what God has worked into you, what is the thing that he's worked into you? I think the Bible's very clear. We talk about this all the time in our church. We want to keep this high on the list and make it paramount. It is the good news. As we're exposing from the Bible, it is in particular the good news of happiness in Christ. The gospel is the announcement of good news, glad tidings of joy in Christ. That's what the good news is, and that's what he's worked and poured into us. But what we're finding, what I'm finding, is that this is not so obvious to us. And many of us have not thought about the gospel deeply in these terms And it's helping us to change that. Even though the Bible repeatedly talks about the gospel as the source of ultimate happiness, the happiness we all long for, this seems to be getting away from us. And we're wanting to reclaim it. So let's consider it this way. Let's see it in God's word As we look at just a few different passages, they'll be on the screen. You could write them down in your notes so that you could look at them later. And we'll begin with Genesis 12, 1 through 4. We're just going to do a brief overview of what the gospel is in Scripture and notice the way the Bible talks about that good news so that we can understand better what he's poured into us and then we can work out of that and get a better sense of what it means to work out our salvation. Genesis 12, 1 through 4. This is the passage about God blessing Abraham. And so our faith in Christ runs through the person of Abraham. So in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with Abraham that was unlike the covenant that he had made with Adam. It was actually a covenant of grace or a covenant of promise, we might call it. And it was different than other covenants because it was a one-way covenant, not two-way. Typically, a covenant is conditions that a person keeps and promises that the person receives or, or the blessings that they receive if they keep the conditions. Therefore, there's this agreement. If you do what you're told, you can have the blessing. But of course, we know that 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 doesn't work for us because we are sinful. We have sinful hearts. We never do what we're told. It's too late for that. What we need instead is a different kind of covenant. We need a different way for us to be saved and forgiven and to know God. And that's what the gospel is. It's a covenant of promise in which God says, I am going to fulfill all the conditions for you, Abraham, and give you on the basis of my condition keeping the promise. You see, it's unilateral. It's one way. But listen to the way the Bible talks about it. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So you notice first that it's this one-way path that the gospel is, is coming into the world, God doing all of the work to form this covenant, but also notice this, 
Notice the way he talks about what the covenant does and what Abraham will be. It blesses. Now, we've heard already that throughout the scriptures, the word bless is often rightly translated as happiness or gladness. That's what it means to be blessed. It means to be made happy. We'll see that more in a moment. But notice how many times it comes up in the passage. I will bless you. I will make you happy. I will fulfill you. I will satisfy you. I will give you my favor. I will, I will delight in you and you will be a delight to me and delight in me. And I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Do you see there? Also, you, you see the pattern? It's the pouring in and the pouring out. I am going to show you ultimate happiness in me and then you are going to be a shining reflection of the joy and satisfaction I offer to my people before the world. Amazing. Paradigm shifting for me. Years ago, probably 20 years ago, when I came to see the Christian life as the fulfillment of the covenant of promise radically transformed the way that I saw God's kingdom and my place in it, and it continues to grow even to this day as we're all growing and learning through the book of Philippians. Here's another passage. Isaiah 52, 7. We have in our hearts some questions that arise when we hear about a lot of this talk about the gospel is about satisfaction and God satisfying our hearts. And ultimately what that means is he has come to make us happy. He has come to brighten our hearts and to give us gladness in him, which we can have nowhere else. And that that gladness glorifies him. Some questions arise in our hearts because for many of us, and you know, until a number of years ago, it's kind of a new thing for me to understand and see clearly, how can that be? Well, what does the Bible say? Isaiah 52, 7. Paul quotes this in Romans. This is where he gets that passage about the beautiful feet sharing the good news. And this is what it says. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of one who brings good news. We're very familiar with that. That's our gospel who announces peace, we've got that, understand that, peace with God, peace within ourselves before God, and brings good news of happiness. That's the ESV, the New American Standard, very literal translations of the Bible, uh, formal equivalence translations, brings good news of happiness. Who announces salvation, what could be more joyful than salvation announced to you? And says to Zion, your God reigns. The God who loves you and has taken you in by grace alone, he also reigns over you. And he is in control. Isaiah 52, 7, another great example. There's that word, and it's translated as happiness. We're seeing at the heart of the good news are hearts that are changed and made glad in him. How about this? In Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, at the birth of Jesus, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. And so the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, this is where, this is where we've had some problems. The Christmas season has not been uh, all to our advantage because by isolating it and thinking of these passages only then, we don't give them much attention throughout the year. But we should because we're getting rich and fundamental truth about what the gospel is. So hear the words again even though it's not Christmas. 
I bring you good news of great joy. Those words are interchangeable in the scriptures. All of the words, rejoicing, gladness, joy, happiness. Those are all interchangeable words. The Bible does not make a distinction between joy and happiness. They're the same thing. And notice the way the gospel is talked about. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the one who has come. What does it mean when, the gospel, when, when Jesus comes? It means the gospel has come. What does it mean when Jesus has come into the world? It means into a dark and sad and difficult world has come ultimate and lasting joy. And his name is Jesus. It's amazing. Or one more. This is the Sermon on the Mount. So think about this. The Lord himself went onto a mountain and preached a sermon of which every point was how you can be happy in him. Because he uses that word that we wrestle with a lot. It's, it, it, it's something he doesn't always translate through to us easily, is the word blessed. Remember, he goes through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, blessed. Young's literal translation is perhaps the most rigid, word-for-word translation of the Bible, and listen to what it says. It's going to sound really weird because it's just going word for word and it's missing some of the words, but we're getting at the meaning. Listen to this sermon that Jesus himself preached in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed in our Bibles, Young's literal translation of that word, which is the word makarios, is the word for happiness. Happy, the poor in spirit, because theirs is the reign of the heavens. Happy the morning, because they shall be comforted. Happy the meek, because they shall inherit the land. Happy those hungering and thirsting for righteousness, because they shall be filled. Happy the kind. You're understanding. We would say that. Happy are those who are kind, or happy are the kind. Blessed are the kind, because they shall find kindness. Happy the clean in heart, because they shall see God. Happy the peacemakers, because they shall be called sons of God. Happy those persecuted for righteousness' sake. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Happy. And may say any evil thing against you falsely for my name. Those are happy. Rejoice ye and be glad, because your reward is great in the heavens. For thus did they persecute the prophets who were before you. So let me ask you again, what exactly is it that God is pouring into you when he gives you the gospel and brings you to faith in Christ? He is pouring into you the announcement of good news, which Jesus repeatedly refers to as makarios, happiness. He is pouring into us the divine, unending, eternal, transcendent joy of knowing and belonging to him. Makarios. That's the word that so often is translated for us as happiness or some version of that. And in fact, it's a word, interesting, that comes, uh, that comes from a meaning previously used for someone who lives apart from the burdensome cares of life. That's what the word makarios means. The word that he uses in the Sermon on the Mount 
like those who live apart from the burdensome cares of life, are the peacemakers. That's the long version. And why is that? It's because we in Christ have come to know who is ultimately in control. And no, we don't always feel that way. It's often mixed with sorrow. But in the midst of sorrow or pain or suffering, there is still the Lord, who is the Lord of joy and gladness, the Lord who has brought us good news of glad tidings, who calls us happy when we know him and belong to him. Therefore, we are to seek Uh, something we've been working on together in these last few weeks. We are to be seeking out our happiness in the happy things of God. We are to be looking for our satisfaction and pursuing the joy that he gives to us in the gospel so that we can also spread the announcement of heart-happying good news. It is all over your Bible. It is all over my Bible. I just need God, give me eyes to see it. He calls us to work out our salvation. And to work out our salvation is to pour out of what God has poured into us before the world and into the lives of other people. And that is the heart happy and good news. So the first application here that we could take away, we're, we're all trying to take steps forward in this kind of paradigm shifting reality is to regularly pour into ourselves and others what we already have, to continually come back in our hearts and minds to the good news of the gospel. And we do that by reading the Bible and reading the Bible carefully. Reading the Bible, looking for what the gospel is, this big, bright announcement of good news, praying about that big, bright announcement of good news, fellowshipping together about and around that big, bright gospel, which is good news. That's what our church is trying to be all about. That is what we mean when we say make the gospel paramount, that it would be at the center of everything that we think, we pray about, and that we would push into it delighting with with ravenous hearts to know more and more. God, show us and help us understand you more. Help us enjoy you more because that is what glorifies you. That could be our prayer. We could make that our prayer every day and it would be great for us. We could make that our prayer tonight at the prayer gathering when we're all back together that would be at the center and all of our other prayers streaming out of that central prayer about the gospel. We're called to work out our salvation. We've got a little better sense, a little better foundation of what that means to, to wrestle with and to pour out that that good news, happiness that God has given us. But let's look at two other truths in the time that we have and to see how this can happen. How does this work? Because it's, it's so different than what we typically think about. We typically think of the Christian life as something that we work up. We, we muster it up. That's where a lot of us have come from. Again, that's all around us. All the religions of the world talk like that. But Jesus doesn't talk like that. That's not the way that it works for us who are in Christ. So here are two truths that will undergird and fuel this working out of our salvation together. Here's the first that we have to remember and call to mind again and again. That God works in us first. You see, we're we're, we're talking about order here. We did it earlier. We, We asked the question, how can I pour out what's not in me? Well, I can't. 
So what can I pour out? I can only pour out what's already been poured in me. And that means that I need God to work in me first. And that's what he does. That's the marvel. It is the miracle of salvation. Is that when I could not save myself, I didn't want to save myself. There was nothing that I could do. I was enslaved to my sin. Even my free will only loved to freely do what it wanted in sin. Wow, God came into my life. He came into your life. He loved first. He worked first, both because he delighted and because it's necessary. I need him. I can do nothing without him. Let's look at verse 13 and notice this. Paul says, he uses that word again, for, to explain how it is that we work out our salvation. Notice that he doesn't say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for you are good enough. He doesn't say, for you better. He doesn't say, for you can. He says, for it is God. The God of good news. The God of heart-happy grace who works, who is at work in you. Why should you work out your salvation? Why can you work out your salvation? Because God is working in you. Notice how he puts that. For it is God who is at work in you, not for God worked in you. You see, there's a difference. Two ways you could look at it. You might think about it like a, like a battery, God has, has charged a battery and put it in your heart like you would put in a toy. And then you turn the toy on and it, it you know, marches along and, and claps its cymbals and does whatever it does until, until the battery dies. Is that the way that God has saved us? Has he given us a gospel battery and plugged it into our hearts and then he set us in motion and then that battery just runs and he's off somewhere else and it's just up to us to use the power of the battery to, to, to live our lives and to work out our salvation? Or is it rather another picture of God continually powering you? Of actually being plugged into a power source that is always churning in the energy, always pouring in. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he means. It is God who is at work in you right now. He is working, working, working. By the way, stop for a moment and think about how, what an incredible privilege that is. Think about what a, let's use that word, blessing that is. Are you kidding me? The, gospel, the, the God of the universe who is high and exalted, who has, who has no, no one to compare to, he has no rival, no one counsels him. He is full of glory. Before the creation of the world, he was perfectly satisfied, perfectly happy. He was perfectly happy in his triune self before we ever came on the scene. And he, by an act of sheer grace and happy delight, is right now, as these words are coming off the page and reaching your ears, he is working he is working in you right now. His hands divinely working in your heart, pumping your spiritual heart, feeding, pouring in, pouring in. Wow. He doesn't have to do that. He does not have to do that. 
He is the one who exists in ineffable light. And he is the one who is working in us. Mm. That, that is amazing. He's continually powering us, continually at work in us. But again, what in the world is he doing? What does that mean? What work is he doing? Well, you can see where this is going as we look at the Bible and we see everything in the context of this this great good news and his ongoing ministry of of the gospel. You see it in, in, in Jesus' sermon on the mount. You see it in every passage when God is relating to his people. What is he doing? He is powering, in particular, the gospel. That's his tool. That's his, that's his announcement. That's, that's his method. His method is a preaching method. He is, by his Holy Spirit, preaching the gospel over and over again, pouring over and over again into our hearts this good news. And as a result of that, because of that, and only because of that, can we work out our salvation. If he were to boop, unplug, the working out would end. You wouldn't have any more power. You don't have a battery. If you did, it would already be dead. But he's not. He stays plugged in by his faithful covenant with Abraham and down through the ages to us. And he keeps working in Abraham, making his people a blessing to the world, working out, working out. Think of it this way. Oh, this is a good, this is a good example. Um, the other day, I was taking a couple of the kids somewhere, oh, to Wendy's, and as we were pulling into Wendy's at Easton, Ella Grace is sitting in the back, and she notices someone on the corner begging. She says, oh, we could get that person some Wendy's, and I am not usually very good at this. That is not often, you know, I need to grow uh, spiritually, and I need more maturity. That's not often my thought. I don't often think, oh, we could get this person, Wendy's. But she said that, and I said, you know what? That's exactly what we're going to do. And so we got a Dave's double, fully loaded combo, Coke to drink, fries, and then the person was gone. So we drove around for about 15 minutes until we finally found someone else. And I made Ella Grace uh, hand it out the window. She at first did not want to, and then she worked up her nerve, and she said, all right, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I can do it. And she did. Now, think about that picture for a moment. If we were to have that, that Dave's double in the bag and hand it out the window, and that's all we had, then that's the end of it. But imagine if instead Ella Grace had said, you know what we could do? We could set up a burger stand on the corner, and we could just keep slinging burgers out to whoever wanted them. You see, that is closer to the picture of what God is doing. That's closer to the picture of what working out your salvation looks like. Not just the slinging out of the burgers, the working out of the happiness in Christ that we're given because it keeps getting poured in. Someone, someone, big S, big O, is behind us constantly pushing in Dave's doubles. (laughs) Right? They're coming down the metal chute endlessly. As fast as you can put them out, he's sending them down. He is constantly sending down the gospel constantly working up, bagging it up into our hearts and then working it out. That's the picture. God is sending, let's get used to this language, gospel 
blessings, makarios, gospel happiness. He's continually sending into your heart, even if you don't feel it, even if your vision and your nerves are fried by the difficulties of this life, and you don't always feel it, you don't always recognize it. I don't either, but that's what he's doing. He's always sending in gospel happiness so that we can then work it out. He works these gospel blessings in us first, and then we extend to others, which is the means by which he gives those gospel blessings to other people. This is how Abraham is a blessing to the whole world. It's because God's people are continually working out their salvation in this way. Gospel-centered, gospel-heavy, big, bright announcement of good news kind of life. So second application here then is this. Get better with me by some discipline, some grace-powered discipline to regularly identify and store away in your heart the ways that God's good news is bringing gospel blessing into your life. That's a long one. To put it shorter, get in tune with how God is ever working through the gospel to make you happy. In him, for him, to his glory. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, in the midst of good times and bad, get in tune with that. Set your mind on that. Start I shouldn't even say start because that's what we're always like talking about doing ad nauseum. We are constantly talking about how can we know more of the gospel? How can we focus and meditate on it? That's what we're talking about here. See the ways that he's working so that you can revel in it, so that you can work it out. And then finally, notice this, that God also wills in us most. This is the part that we so need. It's the underlying um, support system or engine that powers the working out. God works in us first, but as he continues to work in us, he doesn't just work, but in fact, he's doing something in our wills by his willing. He wills in us most. End of verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to desire, and to work for his good pleasure. He is working, he is willing to make you will and to empower you to work. He's doing both of those. God works in us with two eyes. There's one eye on our will and there's one eye on our work. Think about will. You might have it in your Bible like I do as desire. To will, to desire, to decide, and to work. To work, to function, to live. Those are the two pieces that are together. Again, let's use another athletic picture. It's a little bit like a weightlifter who needs both the willing and the working. And the working can't come without the willing. We see it in this earthly picture that will precedes the work. Will fuels the work. He or she, the weightlifter, sets a goal. And then to reach it requires the the pain and difficulty and challenge and perseverance, 
But the only way that that can happen is if the heart is willing, if the weightlifter has the sufficient power to train in such a way, the power to move forward toward the goal, and that power is the will. Christian life functions in a very similar way. Our will must first be turned. And as I mentioned earlier, from my own story, that's what my heart was like. My will was bound. It was enslaved. So was yours. It was enslaved. Yes, we all have a free will. But apart from Christ, you're willing only to do the thing that your sinful heart wants to do, not to do what God loves. So that's why grace is so important. It's essential because that's, he's changed our hearts. He's changed our wills. He has transformed us. And then our wills are empowered or continually worked on by God. He works in us to fuel our wills. But why does he do that? Why does he do that? Because he is willing. It's his will that is working in our wills. That's another one of those incredible realities for anyone who is, who is a Christian and willing to think about it. The God of the universe is delighting to work in your will. He's delighting to make you delight in him. That's what he's doing. He is, he is cheering on, he is fueling on your will. Why do we have the motivation and power to work for his good pleasure, as it says here? It's because he is willing most. If it was up to your will and mine, we would never make it. I don't have enough willpower. I need God's will to power my will. And this makes good sense to us. Why? Because the very means of his willing and working is the ongoing ministry of announcing this peace and bringing good news of happiness in this ongoing cycle. It's a beautiful thing in the Christian life if we can get our hearts and minds around it and make the most of it. I hope that you're keeping up with all of that. I do not expect my own heart or yours to just get that in a moment. We're going to have to keep wrestling with these important truths. These are, these are difficult truths, difficult realities. But we can apply them. Even with what little we understand, we can apply them. Here's the last application this morning. Cooperate. Cooperate with God's ongoing work in you by with him applying to your own will and mind the unending good news of God's pleasure in you. You see, there's another one of those happiness words in this passage. It's the word pleasure. He is willing and working so that you will will and work for pleasure, to please God. And for the Christian, that's what delights us. That's the delight of our hearts because our hearts have been changed. What is it that makes you happy as a Christian? It's knowing that God is being made happy. It's finding, you're finding your happiness in his happiness. And therefore, we should be cooperating in this way, ongoing, thinking about what he's doing in us through the gospel and continuing to work out our salvation. In order to work out your salvation, you, you must have salvation. You cannot pour out what has not been poured in. And so it could be that you're here today, and this might be one of the first times you're hearing about this. We want to talk more about it. It's hard, it's hard to understand, but, but you can understand this, that Jesus loves sinners like us. 
And that when we were bound in our sin, unable to save ourselves, and with his wrath hanging over our heads, he sent Christ, his own son, to live a perfect life in our place and to die on the cross in our place and to rise from the dead to call us to himself because he is on a mission to delight our hearts to the glory of his father. And that begins by faith in him. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, today should be your day. Do not wait. What are you waiting for? The whole world is is out in front of you, a world of joy and worship and gladness and help from the Lord is before you. You should become a Christian. So repent of your sin, turn away from it, acknowledge, I've been going the wrong way, I have been believing the wrong thing, I've been trusting in the wrong people, God, I want to trust in you. Jesus, I want to know you. I place my trust in you, I want to become a Christian. Take me, as I am, take me. Satisfy me, so that I can glorify you. That's what you should be praying. Ask God to give you everything that you need so that you can believe in him. And if God works in your heart and you become a Christian and you feel your heart rising up to him, talk to us about it. We want to celebrate with you. We want to pray for you. We want to keep talking if there are questions about this. So let me encourage you, if that's you, that you would would make a decision. God is willing in your heart today and you are feeling his pull that you would make a decision and trust him and follow him today. And let us know. And for those of us who are Christians, anyone in here who is a Christian, you consider yourself to be a Christian, whether you are a member of our church or not, we invite you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us now as we do so. And if you're here, you're not a Christian, this is a great time to pray, observe, and again, make this a time to look to the Lord for him to save you, for him to forgive you and to show you his grace in your own heart personally. And so I'm going to pray for us as we prepare our hearts as uh, those who are distributing the elements of the Lord's Supper, as well as Pastor Kevin, who's going to lead us in this this brief time of celebrating together. Um, I'm going to pray for us as they come. So let's pray together. God in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the rich and bright truth that you have been delivering to us from the book of Philippians. And God, we pray that by your will and by your work, that the seeds of truth that we're finding here would bear fruit in our hearts. Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us vision to know what it means to work out our salvation? Would you would you brighten our view, open our eyes a little more so that we can see more clearly what you've done for us, what you are like to see the glad tidings of good news that you have brought into our world and into our hearts. Please help us. And I do pray if there's anyone here or hearing this message who is not a Christian, doesn't know Christ, and is not following him as Lord and Savior, as the satisfier of the soul, I pray that you would do your work. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring about salvation, that it would spring up from the ground right under their feet and their hearts would be changed, and they would come to know you, and they would delight in you as you delight in them. And we pray this today as we celebrate the good news of the gospel, which is brought to us by the person and work of Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen.